Our First Baptist Family's mission statement is to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and to lead all others in a joyful life with Him. And to fit very closely with that is our theme for this season, Go and Tell. We hope everything that we provide, all the resources, encourage you, equip you to do just that. Go and Tell. What is prayer? Stale tradition? Ritual? A good luck charm? Part of some religious checklist done to appease a higher being so we can get what we want or at least avoid the lightning bolt prayer has been redefined and twisted and confused but at its essence prayer is simply talking to god the god who spoke the universe into creation who gives us life and breath who holds all things together. This God wants us to talk to him. In the vastness of all that exists, he actually cares about us, personally, individually. How can we not pray to such a loving God? Well, as you know, there's always things going on in the life of our church family. I wanna draw your attention to a few of those. If you notice, if you have a worship guide, and I'd love for all of you to have a worship guide so you can follow along with me during our sermon, but also on that worship guide, there are a number of life together things happening that are, that are mentioned in that worship guide. I just wanna draw your attention to a few of them. The first one is main event. Main event is this Friday evening from six to nine. And it's our opportunity as a church to train, equip, and encourage all of our leaders and aspiring leaders in our church family. It's really for everyone, but in particular for our teachers and directors and other lay leadership. I would say to you, we expect you to be there Friday evening, and we want to love you and serve you by equipping and encouraging and training you. So be there Friday night from 6 to 9. Also, re-engage is a part of our church family. It is a 14, 13 to 14 week enrichment opportunity for every single couple. In fact, we have a brand new vision for re-engage. Every couple by 2027. That should say loud and clear that we believe re-engage is for every couple, regardless of what season you're in, where you are in your marriage journey, whether newly married or longly married, Reengage is for you. And we start Reengage back up September 6th. You can register now. But we want every single couple in our church family and beyond, uh, but especially in our church family, to go through Reengage by 2027. So if you haven't done Reengage yet, register, register for this next coming season of Reengage. Lastly, Pastor's Lunch Bunch sounds like a lot of fun. This is for our uh, senior adults. It's a luncheon with Pastor Chris. There's always great food. And then we have a keynote speaker that comes and just uh, speaks to our senior adults, encourages them. Uh, I've been there. I'm there most times. And it's a, it's a blast to be a part of Pastor's Lunch Bunch. Well, I'm so delighted always for us to worship together uh, for us to sing, us to pray, to be with the kiddos, it's, it's a delight. 
uh, to be here with you this morning. My name is Danny. I'm one of the pastors here at First Baptist Church. Happen uh, have the privilege of being the preaching pastor in Fourth Street Crossing. And um, if you're new here, we are just thrilled that you chose to worship with us today. We never want to take that for granted. And if you could let us know that you are here worshiping today, um, if, whether you're new or have just been visiting for a little bit, you can let us know by going to fbcsa.org slash connect, and that gives us an opportunity to connect with you at a later time. Our mission as a church family, what we aspire to be all about by the grace of God and the work of the Spirit of God in us is to faithfully follow our Lord Jesus Christ and to lead all others in a joyful life with him. We want that to be increasingly us. And so everything that we do, we want it to fulfill that mission that God has given us. Let me also encourage you to continue to give through this church family to join him in what he is doing in all the world. And you can do that by going to fbcsa.org slash give. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your grace towards us. Thank you for these moments now. As we consider your word, help us to see and help us to hear and help us to put your word into action in our life. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. We've been in a series now for a number of weeks on prayer and this morning, the title of the sermon is The Prayers That God Answers. Now, the context of these passages of scripture we're about to read together in a moment, Jesus has just condemned the fruitlessness of Jerusalem and the people of Israel at the time. And he does so by going to a fig tree. Some of you know this story. He, he goes to a fig tree to find fruit. And it's fruitless, and so he curses the fig tree. Now, later on, as they're passing by that fruit tree, Peter marvels. Wow, you cursed the fig tree, and now it's dead. It's withered, and he marvels at what Jesus did and that what he said actually came to pass. And it prompts Jesus to spend just a few moments talking about the power of of prayer. Now, in these two verses, Jesus comes to two main conclusions when it comes to the kind of prayers that Jesus answers or God answers. And his, his conclusions are God answers prayers that come out of faithfulness and faith in God and comes out of a person who is forgiving and extending mercy to others. So those two conclusions, faith and forgiveness, seems to embody the kind of prayers that God answers. But don't you wanna know how that really works out in real life? I mean, what a, what a great practical question for us as believers as we await the return of Jesus, we want to faithfully follow after Jesus in the here and now. What better question to answer than, gosh, I just want to know the kind of prayers that God answers. What a great practical question. So that's where we're going to be spending our time this morning. And the two quick answers are faith and forgiveness. But we need to understand what Jesus means by faith and forgiveness. So would you join me in standing up? We're going to read God's word together. We're going to read verses 25 to 27 
of chapter 11. That's not right. 22 to 25. We're just going to do 22 to 25. Let's read this with one another. Then Jesus said to the disciples, have faith in God. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. But when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against, so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. You may be seated. And may the Lord honor the reading of his word. So Jesus' immediate response to Peter's marveling, gosh, Jesus, you cursed the tree and now it's dead. There's a question there. How in the world did that happen? And Jesus' immediate response in verse 22 is, have faith in God. Have faith in God. That's a declaration that Jesus is commanding his apostle put into action in their life. Have faith in God. Essentially, what Jesus is saying in the, the question that Peter was asking by declaring, oh, look, the tree's withered. Jesus is saying, God did that. God withered the tree. It wasn't a magical spell. It wasn't an incantation. It wasn't drawing on the forces of the universe. When I cursed the fig tree, God honored that cursing. He did it. God did it. And Jesus is implying also, that's the kind of faith that you need, that kind of belief where God moves and acts in our world that he is directly involved. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, listen, I want you to know that in the withering of the fig tree, it's a demonstration that God is intimately and directly involved in the ongoings of the world around you. And that's the kind of faith you need to have. Hebrews chapter 11 Verse six really captures for us the definition of that kind of faith when the writer of Hebrews says this, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists or God is. You gotta believe that he moves and intervenes and acts in this world, uh, that he is in the scenes and behind the scenes. Uh, that if you're gonna come to prayer and God's gonna answer your prayers and you better believe that he is and that he moves and acts in the world. That's what Jesus is saying to us. Now we all know what isness is. Well, maybe not. Let me kind of describe to you. Uh, isness is that keen reality of the existence of something, right? Um, last night, Last night, uh, Anna was working in the dining room. I was in the living room, and all of a sudden, she says, Danny, get in here right now. I rushed to the dining room, and lo and behold, there's a cockroach. <laughs> now, um, I, I can't stand cockroaches. I, I think they're evil. I, I, I wonder why God created them. I, they just look maniacal when, when you look at them, and, and uh, 
and so there's an isness to that roach, right? I, my, my attention is drawn to, I'm like, where is it? Where is it? Tell me where it is. And then I lay eyes on it. I don't leave my gaze on that roach. And then I try to go after it and uh, I miss and it scurries into some place. But let me tell you, even though I don't see that roach, there's an isness about it that cannot leave my mind. Like the reality that it is still somewhere hidden in that space. And I watch. Like, I'm not leaving that room until that roach comes back out. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I mean, it took about 10 minutes, but I was lasered in on where it went, and lo and behold, it came out eventually, and I took, took care of the, the evil in the living, dining room. But here's the thing. There's an isness to that, right? There is this keen reality that this thing is and, and it can't leave my heart and my mind. That's what Jesus is talking about. Is there an isness to God in your life? Is there a keen reality that he continues to move and act in the world that he is real? He's not some figment of our imagination. He's not saying that we've conjured up, but he is and he has acted in human history and he continues to act. Will you pray to God with that kind of isness, that kind of belief and faith? That's what Jesus is saying, have faith in God that he still moves and acts in the world. We tend to treat the world as a closed system sometimes, like an ant farm. Everything that we see is what's happening around us, and we just function as if God is something other. Now, we assent and knowledge and belief that God is, but sometimes we just practically function as if he isn't. Somehow this world is closed rather than believing that God is acting in our world. And sometimes when we live as if we're in a closed system, we can say things like, yeah, I'll pray for you. But sometimes those just becomes platitudes that we think comfort people rather than actually believing that God's gonna intervene. Jesus says, no, you have to have faith. God, God withered that fig tree. Would you pray with that kind of faith that you know that God continues to move and act in the world? Whether he's in the foreground or the background, you must believe that he can still move mountains, that he's a mountain mover, that he is. But now we get to this really tricky verse in verse 22, 23. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. That verse left to itself leaves us the impression that if we just have enough faith, if we really believe it, if there's enough isness in God that he'll just give us anything we want. And it'll happen, even throw a mountain into the sea. That kind of reasoning in our world has been absolutely disastrous. It's self-exalting, right? It can be self-exalting because, gosh, I'm a blessed person. My bank account's full and family seems all together. I'm getting the things that I want. And somehow we can believe that, gosh, God just looked down upon me and answered my request because I have my life together. My faith is big enough that God would answer my request. Look at me. Or it can be soul crushing. And I ask and ask and ask and ask and ask and that mountain will not be moved. My bank account is drained. I have nothing. I have just conflict and conflict and conflict. Maybe it's because I just don't have enough faith. It's a me problem. 
The kind of thinking that says, if I just believe and have enough faith, God will give me what I want has been disastrous. It sets our sights on the good things that God may give us rather than Jesus, who's the, the messianic king over all the universe. It puts our affections in different places where they don't belong. It makes good things idols rather than exalting Jesus in our life. I just need the good that God can give rather than God. It's been disastrous. We call it the health wealth gospel, prosperity gospel, the name and claim it gospel. That's not what this verse is about. It's not what this verse is about. So we know that by anything or whatever you ask, Jesus didn't mean anything we want. I mean, can you imagine the world we'd be in if Jesus answered every single request that we wanted? I mean, can you imagine your own household? If you said yes to every single request your kids made, our friend made, golly, we'd be in a mess. We're already in a mess. It'd be that much worse. It'd be a disaster. But the brother of Jesus, James and John, help us put anything into the right perspective. So this is James chapter four, verse two. James says this, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. There's faith. You need to faith. You go to God because you believe he's still moving and acting and intervening in the world, that he's still a giver. But he says later in that verse, and even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. So there are some things that God will not give you when you ask for it, no matter how much faith you have. James says the reason for that is because you ask for the wrong motives. You don't value the kingdom of God. You don't value the values of God. You're living your own way and then making demands of God. God's not gonna answer that request. He's not gonna do it. He says, you only want what will give you pleasure. So there are things that God will not answer no matter how hard you ask for them. There's another one. 1 John 5, 14. And we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. There's a qualification. Other translations will say, according to his will, that God hears what we ask for when we ask according to his will by faith. So James and John help us give some context to what Jesus is saying. When he means whatever, he doesn't mean every donut on the shelf. Right, kids? He doesn't mean a, a tall cup of coffee. No, there's, there's context to that. There's a will about God. There's valuing the kingdom of God. And, and John says, listen, you can go to God and ask anything that's according to his will. Anything. Now, there's a lot that we don't know about God's will. We don't know necessarily that he's gonna end the crisis on the border next week. Uh, we don't know if he's gonna give peace to Ukraine next week. We don't know if he's gonna end your friend's cancer next week or tomorrow. And, and so what do we do with those kind of requests? And we should ask for those. We should ask for those big requests. We should come to the Lord as children. His children say, Lord, may you intervene, may you act. But at the end of the day, we're not 100% certain that's his will. When you think about Paul, Paul talks about 
the thorn in his side. There was something going on in Paul's life that was just crippling to him. And he said, I asked God three times to take it away. Now, based upon our initial response to Jesus's words, ask anything, you believe it, God's gonna give it to you. There was a will about God in Paul's life that he said, Paul, I know you're asking with great faith, but my will for you in this moment and this season is to not remove that thorn from your side. I promise you this, my grace is sufficient for you. I'll give you what you need in those moments when I don't whisk something away. There are a lot of things when we come to God in prayer that we don't know his immediate will regarding that thing, but we ask it. We come to him boldly and believing, but then we have to do what Jesus did in that moment. And Jesus said, I don't want this cup. I know what I'm facing. And then he says, Lord, your will, not my will. So so how do we pray in those moments when we want God to remove something from our life? We do what Jesus did. I want this gone. I want this gone. Remove this from me, but your will, not my will. Some things we don't know the will that God has for that thing. And we ask him to fulfill his will rather than ours. We trust that he will do that. But there are things that we do know is God's will. There are things that we know he does want to do. Uh, Several weeks ago, I said it like this. We need to pray according to God's will. And the, the, the clearest place where we know God's will is in his word. So pray with the word of God open. Now, I wanna list just a few things that God has promised to us as followers of Jesus that we can pray with confidence knowing that his will and he will say yes to it. The first one is our salvation. Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the will of God. You can with confidence. If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, you can with certainty and confidence call out to God and say, I have put my faith and trust in your son. In him, I know he's died for my sin and rose victorious over sin and death from the grave. And I know that my sins will be forgiven because you've promised if I call out to you and believe in Christ, I will be forgiven. You can pray with certainty that God will say, yes, you're redeemed. The second, the second place that we can pray with confidence, knowing that it is God's will, is our sanctification. Romans chapter six, verse 22. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves to God. Freed from sin and death, and now we become slaves to God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. Paul captures for us this now process. You've been freed from sin and death and now you've been freed for God to sanctify you, make you more like his son. Romans chapter eight, verse 28, 29, maybe 27, 28, 29. He says, I've chosen you to look like my son Jesus. You can know with certainty that God's will is that you look like Jesus more and more each day. And so when we pray, we can come with confidence knowing that God's gonna answer that request. 
Lord, help me to be the kind of dad this morning that will be gracious and kind to my children. And those, those kind of prayers are morning changing, afternoon changing. God will answer those requests in that journey of becoming more and more like Jesus. We know, according to the word of God, that God's will is that he supply all our needs according to his rich supply. Matthew 6.33 says this, seek the kingdom of God above all else. That means pursue the kingdom, kingdom values, kingdom customs, kingdom culture, kingdom ways. And if you do that, he will give you everything you need. Everything you need. That's how Paul prayed for the Philippians. He said, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. We can trust that God's will is that he meets our every need as we pursue God's kingdom. Now we knew, again, meeting every need isn't I'm gonna give you everything you want. Just before this, in, chat, in verse 12, Paul says, listen, I've learned what it means to be content in all things, whether I'm hungry or full, rich or poor. So somehow God is supplying the need that Paul needs in those moments, even though every physical need isn't exactly where he would want it. And what that means for us, though, is that when we're pursuing God's kingdom and we're in a tight spot and we say, Lord, give me what I need. The answer of the Father is absolutely yes. My grace will be sufficient for you in your moment of weakness. Even though you're hurting right now, my grace will be sufficient for me because in that moment of my meeting your need, just the ability to get through what you're experiencing will glorify me and my grace will abound. We can promise that. Jesus promises that. That God will help us get through even the most dire circumstances in our life, even if, again, if he doesn't whisk them all away. We can trust that. That's the will of God. Lastly, what we know to be God's will, which empowers us in our prayer life, is that God always has our eternal good in mind. Romans 8, 28. Y'all know this. Some of y'all know this verse really well. That God is gonna work everything out He's gonna put all the pieces together. He's gonna work everything out for your good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. The will of God for your life, our lives, is that in the messiness, the brokenness of our world and the hurt and suffering we may experience and the conflict that exists, he says, I can, if you set your sights on me, I'm gonna take all of that and put it together for your good. I'm gonna work something good out of this, your eternal good. And no one knows our eternal good better than our creator and the one who has redeemed us, Jesus. You can trust in your life of prayer, going boldly to the Father that he has your eternal good in mind. Lord, bring good out of this. Turn this into good. I can't see it, but your promise says that that's what you're doing. We must pray according to the will of God and those things that we can believe that he will do because he's promised them. 
Now, then he says this. Verse 25. But when you're praying in that way, when you're praying with that kind of faith, according to the will of God, with a heart set on the kingdom, but when you are praying, first forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Just as a reminder, and I've already said it once, but it's worth repeating, the only way we had the privilege of coming to the creator of the universe, the holy and righteous one, is not because we've been able to pull ourselves up from our bootstraps and muster up some kind of righteousness of our own. The only way we can come to God with that kind of boldness as children of God is because of Jesus' mercy towards us. And we know his mercy because God intervened in sending his son who died on the cross for our sin and rose victorious over sin and death. And it's that faith, that faith, believing that moves and interacts and intervenes in our world for our good, for our redemption, that we can come and say, Father, act on my behalf. God's mercy and grace allows us to come to him with boldness, which makes sense. When Jesus says, okay, but when you're making those requests of the Lord, you also need to be ready to extend that kind of mercy and grace to those you hold a grudge against for offending you. If you cannot extend mercy towards your neighbor, Jesus says, then don't expect God to answer your requests. How we love our neighbors, the attitudes that we have towards one another, our neighbors, our behavior, how we interact with the people that we can see. John says in 1 John, he says, how do you expect to love God whom you can't see? And you can't even love your neighbor whom you can see. There's a connection and Jesus is saying, listen, your, your attitude, your behavior, how you love, how you don't love, all has an impact on your relationship with your creator. You can't presume that this is okay when we've messed all of this up. Or maybe another way to say it is like this. If your colleagues or your friends cannot trust that you will be gracious, gentle, and kind, that, you're not, that you are a person to fear rather than a person where there is safety. If they can't trust you, if your friends and colleagues can't trust you, why in the world do you think God will trust you? By saying yes to your requests. Jesus doesn't work that way. First Peter chapter 3, 17 Peter writes to husbands and wives. He says, in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are in this world in which she lives, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. Wow. 
That's what Jesus is saying. If you can't be a person of mercy and grace towards the people that have offended you and hurt you, if you can't, if you can't treat those people within your household, your wife or your kids, and that's both ways, by the way, husbands to wives and wives to husbands and friends to friends, colleague to colleague, if you can't treat each other with the same kind of mercy and grace that God has extended to you, do not expect God to answer your requests. How we love our neighbor has a direct impact on whether or not God hears and answers what we ask of him. Another way to say it is like this. God is eager to say yes to those who say yes to his commands and his kingdom. John 15, seven. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, these are the words of Jesus. You may ask for anything. There's that word again. Your translation might be whatever. He uses the same word. You may ask anything you want and it will be granted. And so the context for Jesus is whatever or anything is if you remain in me and my words remain in you, if you will be about my kingdom if you will set your sights and hearts on my values, if you will listen to my words and do them, then you can ask me anything and I'll do it. Jesus says there's a freedom coming to the Father when you're asking with that kind of heart, with the right motives. When you're living out obediently and loving your neighbor as yourself, man, God is eager to answer those requests coming from those people. We're seeking to live the kingdom of God out. Moms and dads, you know, you know what this is like, that there's an eagerness to extend greater children to your, to greater freedom to your children as they get older. But that comes with a, a trust in the kind of people that were coming and the choices that they have made, right? There's a kind of relationship that I have with our daughters that, as they demonstrate that they want to uphold the values of this family, as they demonstrate wisdom in the choices that they're making in life, and when they come to me and say, hey, dad, can I take your car? What's my answer? Yeah, take it. It's freely yours. But if there's not a willingness to adopt the values of our home, if there's a, a decision-making that's consistently just in rebellion against what we ask our kids to do, and she asks me, can I take your car? I'm gonna be like, probably not. But the only reason I have that freedom to say yes to my girls is because they've demonstrated that they can be trustworthy. Jesus says the same thing that I'm eager to say yes to your requests, but you have to be trustworthy with the mercy and grace I've given to you. And if you're not willing to forgive your neighbor, if you're not willing to extend mercy to them, why do you think I'm gonna say yes to you? And so there's a caveat to this prayer. God answers the prayers of those who live out his kingdom as his children. It doesn't mean perfect. My goodness, we're not perfect until Jesus comes back and he makes all things whole. 
but it does mean a heart that embodies an awareness and repentance of, gosh, I don't wanna do that again. So we're not talking about perfection. We're talking about faithfully pursuing God's kingdom. And Jesus says, God wants to answer the prayers of that person, that person. So in summary, what kind of prayers does God answer? He answers the kind of prayers when a person comes to him in faith, believing that he continues to move and act in the world rather than some distant person. He answers the prayers of unwavering belief for those things you know he wills for you, your sanctification, your redemption, eternal good. Pray for those things. And when you don't know his particular will about a thing, you say, not my will, but your will be done. And lastly, God cannot wait to answer the prayers of his faithful children. Will you pray in that way? Will you pray like that? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for Jesus' teaching on prayer. Lord, help us to pray like that. Pray believing that you continue to move and act. We don't want our prayers just to be platitudes. Help us to pray your will for us, our sanctification, that we might change and look more and more like your son, Jesus. Help us to embody those kind of prayers every day. And Lord, help us to be your faithful children and faithfully following you and heeding your commands in life and loving our neighbors as ourselves. Lord, we know that you long to answer the prayers of those kind of people. And we can only get there by your grace. Teach us to pray. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen.